0: for something more out of life. Something that gives us purpose. Direction. A sense of community. For the past 2,000 years, people have found these things in a place called church. For centuries, the church has helped those who couldn't help themselves. restoration for those who have been hurt, a home to orphans, a comfort to widows, and a refuge to the sick. the church does so much more than just reaching out to those in need. It's a place where together we can grow, laugh and play, worship and learn about a God who loves us unconditionally, and see firsthand how his love impacts the world around us. Because of Christ, we all share a common through the church that we can really live life together. Welcome to church
1: Well amen I would say not welcome to church but welcome church. if you have your Bibles and I hope you do, uh, go with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. we're going to be looking beginning in verse 42. I love the video because it shows a lot of the essentials of what a church is all about. But sometimes I think we we get into this habit where, uh, because of the way the world sees the church, and sometimes I think the way we see the church, we start looking at church as uh, the building or the organization. And the church is absolutely not the building or the organization. In fact, Wayne Grudem defines the church says it includes all those for whom christ died to redeem all those who are saved by the death of jesus christ the church is not a building or an organization that was established by man it is an it is a body it is a group of believers who have been called out by god and it was established by jesus christ if you remember uh, jesus talking to peter he says who do men say that i am And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. He goes on to say that uh, Jesus says, Blessed are you, uh, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And then he continues on and says, Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, talking about the rock of Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church, it's a time, we live in a day and age when we need the church all we have to do is look around at our society and our culture and realize that things are a mess things are a mess and the church was established by god to be the lighthouse to be the beacon of hope to be able to minister to people in their darkest hour to be the light in the darkness but not every church that calls themselves a church is a church not every church that calls themselves a church is a church and i believe that luke talks to us and shares with us the essentials of a new testament church would you stand for the reading of god's word acts chapter 2 we will begin in verse 42 the bible says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers And the lord added to the church daily such as should be saved as you're being seated would you bow with me for prayer father thank you for this time that we can come in and god as believers we can take a a respite from the world uh that we can come into your presence we can lift up together corporately uh, praises to your name we can uh worship you and stand in awe of who you are and father now as we come to this time uh where your word is proclaimed i pray that that you would be in charge i pray that it would not be my thoughts but your thoughts that it would not be my words but your words father would you produce in this time in this place an anointing uh, that i cannot cannot produce god would you transform our lives in ways that only you can it's in jesus name we pray amen amen Acts chapter 2 very familiar passage uh that uh luke is extending on he's he's writing to theophilus and he's already written the gospel of luke talking about um what jesus did and his ministry and his death burial and resurrection and then in acts we come and it's called the acts of the apostles some people would say it's the acts of the holy spirit but we know in in chapter 2 the holy spirit has come upon 120 believers in an upper room and the day of pentecost has happened where they have gone out into the city. Peter has preached this incredible message, and the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were saved that day. And then we pick up what Luke says in Acts chapter 2. Sometimes we, we wonder, we can think about uh, what a church is and what the essentials of a church are, but uh, someone once said that Acts chapter 2, right here, we find probably the purest form of the church. Kind of like Genesis, when we see creation before the fall was introduced in Acts chapter two, we kind of see this honeymoon. Yes, they weren't perfect people. They had their faults, they had their their flaws. But before anything else could disrupt what was taking place in these few verses, we have what God would consider the essentials, the purity of the New Testament church. And so I want to look at those this morning. What are the essentials of a New Testament church? I think there are four things, so I hope you'll follow along with me uh this morning. A New Testament church, again, remember, is not a building, it's not an organization, it's people. So the New Testament church, uh, I believe that Luke teaches us, is a people of the word, or a people of the Bible, a people of Scripture. Notice what he says in verse forty two verse forty-two. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Here were three thousand people who In terms of education in terms of school they were in kindergarten they had just come in to this family to this community to this this thing that we now call the church and they had nothing no knowledge they hadn't walked with Jesus they hadn't talked with Jesus they were coming in on this new uh, thing that God was doing and all they had were 120 believers who were able to teach them and to share them and to give them the scriptures and the teachings that Jesus had provided to them. When I think of them being a people of the Bible, I think of them being, first of all, faithful to Scripture. Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. They didn't come into this world, they didn't come to this new church and say, okay, um, we're going to talk about uh, what this philosopher said, and we're, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about that. No, they came and said, we've got one thing to talk about, and that's what Jesus did, that's what Jesus said, period. End of discussion. They were faithful to the Scriptures and faithful to the Word of God because they knew that apart from the Word of God, there was nothing that they had. There was nothing that they could offer. D.L. Moody said, the Scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. I love being able to read stories. Uh, other people and and hear what they have to say but i'm going to tell you something i don't care what preacher you read i don't care what philosopher you read ain't nobody going to transform your life like jesus christ ain't no book going to transform your life and make you into the person that god desires for you to be apart from scripture if we're going to be a new testament church we have to be faithful to the word of god we have to be faithful to the scriptures because only the scriptures are going to change our life only the scriptures are going to guide us only the scriptures are going to teach us. But secondly, I think they had the attitude of a learner. They were faithful to scripture, but they were, they were people who desired to learn. The Bible tells us that they were meeting on a daily basis. We know that in our world, that's, that's just not feasible, right? We have things to do. We have to work. We have to do all these things. But in their day and time, these, these believers, they were meeting together Daily. Daily. We can't come together because of life on a daily basis like this. But we can be learners and listen to what the Spirit teaches us through the Word on a daily basis. We can study the Word. We can can pull ourselves into the Scriptures and say, God, what is it that you want to teach me today? And listen, God is faithful. He said, my Word will not return void. He will accomplish what it is that He has put In his word to accomplish in your life I've heard many people and many people I can attest to this that you can read one passage of Scripture today and go back to it six months later and it says something completely different why because God has something new he wants to teach you God has something new truth some new application that he wants to give you from his word but you have to be a student of the word you have to be willing to come into the word and say God what what is it that you want to teach me You have to be willing to research it to to do the work sometimes i wonder if we're we're not we don't get lazy when it comes to the word that it's just easier to come in here once a week and say okay preacher fill me up fill me up you wouldn't eat that way why would you read the bible that way you can't get filled up for the week in one sitting you need to be constantly in the word constantly studying the word of god paul said in second 2 timothy two fifteen, study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth we live in a day and time when i wish i could say that the uh that the world doesn't understand the bible the sad thing is we live in a day and time when the church doesn't understand the bible George Barna and George Gallup, both pollsters, reputable names, close church observers have noticed a decline in biblical, biblical literacy, not in the world, but in the church. They said the majority of born again Christians do not believe in absolute truth. Sixty percent of Christians can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. 50% of high school seniors think Sodom and Gomorrah were married. And the sad thing is, pastors weren't much more better informed than the laity because Barna found that 49% of Protestant pastors reject core biblical beliefs. Our ignorance and willfulness are crippling us. Without truth, the gospel is perverted. Most church-going adults reject the accuracy of the Bible, and they reject the existence of Satan. They reject the sinfulness of man and see no need to evangelize and believe that good works are one of the keys to persuading god to forgive their sins wow what a day what a day we live in when that's coming out of the church the bible is central to who we are as believers The Bible has to be foundational for who we are as a church and who we are as Christians because it's the foundation that we stand on. The world doesn't care what you have to say. I mean, I can attest to that. How many of you, be honest, how many of you flip through Facebook on a daily basis, right? How many of you sit and read everything that comes across that timeline? Not on one. Why? Because I don't care. Can I just be perfectly honest with you? I don't care. <coughs> now, when I find something that looks interesting, I might stop. But the reality is we think that I've got this platform. I've got these people. They want to hear what I have to say. Guess what? The world doesn't care what you have to say. Wow. It's the Bible. As the church and as believers, we've got nothing to say apart from Scripture. It starts and ends with the Word of God. And let me tell you, it's not just our ability to influence the world. It's our ability to walk and talk as believers and to withstand some of the, the darkest and deepest days that we walk through as, as individuals. It was C.S. Lewis who said, You never know how much you really believe until— You never know how much you really believe anything— until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It's easy to say you believe in a rope to be uh, strong as long as you are merely trying to use it as a cord in the box. But suppose you had to hang that by that rope over a, a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trust in it? Same for the Word of God. If I don't trust it, if I'm not in it, if I'm not living it, that says a lot about how well I trust it and let me tell you something if that's how well I trust it that I can't dive into it that I'm not gonna be faithful to it to say this is what I stand on this is my foundation as a believer this is our foundation as a church then guess what we don't have any hope we don't have any hope because it's not gonna hold it's not gonna hold if we're gonna be a New Testament church if we're gonna be people that that are patterned after acts chapter 2 we've got to be a people of the word secondly not only were we people of the word but we are people of the people acts chapter 2 notice it says and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles now all Who believed were together, had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. The New Testament church established something new. It wasn't a congregation, but a community. People who gathered together and said, you know what, we now are one body we now are one people we have this this ability to share we're partnering in life together can I tell you something people are looking for community talk to the average person people are looking for community they're looking to connect with other people The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the church and uses the analogy of a body and how a body is connected. The same is true for a community. We are connected to one another. You don't exist on your own. God did not create you to be the Lone Ranger Christian. He created you to be part of a community. The church is two communities in one. Catch this. The church is the universal community, okay? That's every believer who has ever lived in all of history. By the Holy Spirit of God, we are connected to them in a community. But then there's our local community, this body, where we come together, where we worship together, we praise together. But is that all we do? Is that all we do, that we just walk in this building we sing our songs, we give our tithes, we listen to the word, and then we walk out the door. That doesn't sound very much like a community to me, it sounds more like a congregation. A Gallup poll that was commissioned by Group Publishing shows that people with close friendships in their church are very satisfied with their congregation, and they're less likely to leave a place of worship and have strong friendships with God. Church members who have a best friend at church are 21% more likely to report attending at least once a week, and 26% more likely to report having a strong, more active faith in God. 77% of highly satisfied members have eaten a meal with fellow congregants who are not members of their family at some point over the last year. Only 56% of somewhat satisfied or dissatisfied members have shared a meal together. Mealtime fellowship appears strongly correlated with high levels of congregational satisfaction. 62% of who eat meals together report regularly spending time in prayer and worship daily versus 49% who have not eaten meals with other church members. Community is not about coming in this building, shaking a few hands, and walking out. Can I tell you that community is about doing life together? And listen, I I stand up here in complete and total honesty this morning. Complete honesty. Because over a year ago, I told the pastor of this church that there was no community in this building. And I walked out those doors. Most of y'all don't know that. You know what God told me? As I began to allow him to to prep this message how you expect other people to do community when you don't do it. I'm just as guilty of investing and engaging in other people's lives as anybody else. But community is an essential part of the church. It's not just enough for me to know your name, but if I'm going to be a part of the community, I need to know who you are. I need to know what what God's doing in your life. I need to know where you struggle. I need to know where I can encourage you at. I can't do that just walking in these doors a couple of hours on a Sunday. That means we engage outside of this place. We find those times and, and I know, I know what some of y'all are already thinking. I'm just too busy. No. Let me tell you. We're responsible. And one day I'm going to give an account for myself and how I handled the community of this fellowship. Of what my part was to be in this community. It's not, it's something, yeah, it takes time. It's intentional. It, it requires you to engage. It requires you to make some some sacrifices and some choices to say, you know what? I want to know this person. I want to be in vested in their lives i want to to know when they're hurting and know when they're struggling i want to be connected in their lives and maybe that means sitting down over coffee maybe it means sitting down over a meal i can tell you what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean sending a message over facebook or twitter shooting a picture on snapchat that's not connection if you think that's connection wow Those aren't aren't real. Those aren't real connections. True connection is when I get with you and I get face to face. Say, tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me how I can minister to you. Let me tell you something. When we do that, when we figure that out, the world will say, whoa, I need to find that. I need to get that because they're looking for community too. I can't tell you the number of times I pop on social media and somebody else is talking about their tribe, their community that they're they're involved in and they're connected with. People are looking and people are finding community. And it's not always the best thing. In fact, most of the time it's not a good thing. But we as the church we should be living out what it means to be a people of the people and invest and engage in others lives and say, you know what? We have all things in common. I got something you need. Sure. It's yours. If, if that just means I've got a friendship, I've got time to sit down for a meal. It's an amazing thing. I read the story this week of a of a pastor was traveling with a brazilian student along the way the pastor asked the student if he wanted to stop for a cup of coffee and the student said i'd be honored so they swung into starbucks starbucks and went through the drive-through once on their way the student was quiet and when he was pressed about his silence he said i thought you were asking me to be your friend i thought we were going to sit together and share life Living in fellowship is basically sharing life, all of life. I listened to a pastor this week who talked about being a college minister in a town. And and when one of his students was a sophomore, he invited him over to his house for pizza. And this is what he said to him. I don't just want you in my house to have pizza. I want you to be part of my family. That's community that's community of me inviting you in to say hey i'm a part of you you're a part of me because we belong to god because we're one body new testament church it's people of the word people of the people third tracking with me number 3 people of worship go back to acts they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine fellowship breaking of bread and prayers get down to verse 46 they continued daily in one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house and did eat their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising god and having favor with all people they were people of worship what is worship this worship? Yeah. Giving our tithes, praising God, but that's not the totality of worship. If we think worship just ends when we say the last amen, then we don't understand worship. If you want to understand the meaning of a biblical word, Bible scholars tell you, you go to the first place that you find it in the, in the scripture so where's the first time worship is mentioned in the bible psalms leviticus genesis not in the garden not with noah but genesis 22 you know the story i hope you know the story abraham was promised by god to have a son that would he would be the father of many nations through his son isaac it's one particular day god got abraham and said i want you to take your son your only son isaac and i want you to go and sacrifice him on a mountain i'm going to show you abraham not something most people would do got up early the next morning went off took two of his servants all of the stuff that he needed to make the sacrifice he walked three days and then he stopped he saw the mountain in the distance. He looked at his servants and he says, the boy and I are going to worship and we're going to come back. Now, I don't know about y'all. Putting a kid on an altar doesn't sound a lot like Christian worship today, right? <laughs> that's, that's something that just we don't do anymore. Like That's something they didn't do in the Jewish community like they sacrificed but definitely don't sacrifice a kid. But Abraham said we're going to worship well here's the correlation. The essence of Abraham's worship was one word obedience. God asked him to go and he said okay. Abraham understood what it meant to say yes before he ever knew the question. To say, God, this is, this is what you want, then I will obey. You want me to praise, I will obey. You want me to give, I will obey. Worship is not just uh, singing songs, although it can be. Worship is not just giving of your tithes, but worship is going about your lifestyle. Everyday life, With that spirit that says yes god i i don't even know what the question is but the answer is yes whatever it is that you want from me whoever it is that you want me to speak to whoever it is that you want me to pray for whoever it is that you want me to connect with god whatever it is that you're asking me to do the answer is yes that's the essence of worship The early church, Luke tells us that they prayed together, that they worshiped together. They they did all these things. But can I tell you, it's all a response of everything that they were taught right here. It starts here. It starts with the truth of God's word. And then you say, God, yes. I don't know exactly what the application looks like every time, but yes. God is looking for people who will say yes, who will say, God, it's all about you and not about me. See, worship isn't just about obedience, but it's also about humility. Proverbs 2.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. 1 Peter says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the people. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land the new testament church understood that the end all and be all is god nothing else matters nothing else matters why because it's all about him i tell you can i tell you something today i know sometimes life is hard we go through difficult circumstances and other times we're standing on the mountaintop and we're just basking in the sun there's not a circumstance you go through that's all about you it's not about you your trial your struggle we get we get in those pity parties where, woe is me, God, why am I going through this? This is all about me, 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 me. I'm the you know I'm the victim. I, da, da. Keep going, right? Yes. It's not about me. First. The question is, what is God doing through it to bring Himself glory? Because that's what it's all about. I don't mean this to sound harsh. But whatever trial and struggle you're going through, whatever mountaintop you're standing on, God's not as concerned about where you're at as about how much glory he gets through your situation. Because at the end of the day, he's more concerned about his glory than he is about our pettiness and our individual circumstance. And when we get that, when we understand that, How much easier is it to say, God, it's all about you. I surrender everything. That's an attitude of worship. To say, open hands, here I am. Yes, yes, yes. That's the essence of worship. That was what the New Testament church understood. So they were people of the word, they were people of the people, they were people of worship fourth. They were people of the gospel. They were people of the gospel. Verse 47, praise they were praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those. we're being saved understand this about the gospel number one there's a commitment to to go we have talked that that has been preached from this pulpit several times over the last several weeks but it's been taught and preached from this pulpit for years that we go matthew 28 jesus said go therefore And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Luke records it this way when he says, But you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If we're a church of the gospel, we are committed to sharing. We are committed to connecting with people outside of this building. And sharing the truth that is about jesus that there was this man god man who came and lived a sinless life to be the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross shed his sins shed sorry shed his blood so that you and i could have a relationship with god but it didn't end there because he got up out of the grave three days later and we have victory over death, hell, and the grave. As a New Testament church, as people of the gospel, we are committed to share that message with everyone. Nothing else. Nothing else is going to change their life. I don't care. It's offensive in our culture. People don't like it. People would rather come into a building. Most people would rather stay home. But sometimes we get to this point, and, and I've seen it countless times over the years, of churches that want to get to that point where, you know what, I just want to, I want to pull people in, I just I want to bring them in, you know. Let me tell you something, you bring them in with anything other than the gospel message, you've got to keep them here with anything else but the gospel message. And at the end of the day, their blood is on your hands when they die and go to hell because you didn't share the gospel with them period we have to have a commitment to share a commitment to tell the truth to share the word of God to know that that is what is going to transform lives that is what is going to save people from an eternity in hell and give them the greatest life that they could ever know to live the life of a Christian to live the life to know that I have a relationship with God yeah heaven that's great that's great and and we love to talk about heaven that's the end reward but right now i get to live and go through life with people because we're connected and i get to go through life with a god who knows me intimately who walks with me we're a people of the gospel we're committed to share the gospel to share the message of Jesus Christ, and then we trust in the sovereignty of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Luke didn't say at the end of chapter 2 that the people went out and shared the gospel and brought them in. No. He said the Lord added daily, daily, those who are being saved. We've got a commitment to go and to share. But it's not up to us to save them. I can't save them. It's God who saves them. It's God who adds them. Paul said in in the book of Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God, a grace. The faith to believe is a gift of God that he gives us in salvation. We're people of the gospel. We trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not what we can do. It's about what God does through us. read this illustration earlier this week. Russell Moore recounts a conversation with the great evangelical theologian Carl Henry. As Moore and some of his friends were lamenting about the miserable shape of the church, and by the way, this illustration was used in 2012. So let's consider the miserable shape of the church in eight years later. They asked Dr. Henry if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. Dr. Henry replied, of course, there's hope for the next generation of evangelicals, but the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They're probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. Moore went on to say, the next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profane hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out, drunk in a fraternity house right now. And the next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. And the next, the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. How is their life going to change If the church doesn't stand up and be the church. To share the gospel. To be what it is that God has called us to be. These are essentials, I believe, of the New Testament church. They're things that when things go a little awry, we come back to We come back to a a foundation. I watched this movie one time uh, and there was a a scene in this movie where a ballet dancer was talking to her instructor and she was having some some rough times and, and her instructor said that the best dancers knew that when things aren't going well, they come back to this one place and she placed her hand on the bar in that particular dance studio because to them that was their foundation. When things aren't going right with us, we come back to the foundation. We come back to the essentials of what it means to be a New Testament church. I believe that John said it like this We come back to our first love. We come back to our first love. John Stott said. There's no need for us to wait. You see, the early church, that church the day of Pentecost, had to wait on the Spirit to come. We're not waiting for the Spirit, y'all. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves before God's sovereign authority to determine not to quench His Spirit, but allow Him the freedom to work, and then our churches will manifest those marks of the Spirit's presence. Things that young people are looking for, things like biblical teaching, loving fellowship, fellowship, living worship and an ongoing, outgoing evangelism. Things that are essential to the church. But remember, the church isn't this building. It's not this organization. The church is people. So the essentials don't start With a group they start with an individual commitment to say if i'm going to be part of a new testament church then i live out these essentials in my life and then intercede on behalf of everyone else to live out the essentials in their life it starts with you as the individual So here's the question. Are you part of the New Testament church living out the essentials? It's not a check one and you got them all. You got to take them one by one and say, God, am I a person of the word? Am I daily digging in and studying the word? Am I a person of community? Am I a person of worship? Am I a person of the gospel? And they commit to be that person. So here's the invitation. No doubt in this building, there's someone here who has never trusted and received the free gift of salvation. We invite you to come. Or maybe you've been attending and God's telling you that you need to join this church. We invite you to come. Pastors will be here up at the front. They'll walk with you through those, those decisions. But for the church, isn't it time that we kind of come back and say, I'm coming back to the foundation. I'm coming back to the essentials to, to my first love. And I commit to be that individual in the New Testament church. If that's you, The musicians are going to come I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come to this altar and commit today to be that individual you say I can pray in my seat yeah you can but if there's something I've learned over the years there's something about making a spiritual marker at an old-fashioned altar been to a number of churches throughout the years and a lot of churches don't take advantage of this altar Church, today, let's do it. Take advantage of this altar and say, today, I'm going to commit to be that New Testament believer, to be part of a New Testament church. Would you stand? I'm going to pray. Musicians are going to play, and you come. Father, this is your time. God, I pray that your word has gone forth. And God, I ask you to do now what only you can do, and that is transform our hearts and our lives, not for a moment, but God, for eternity, that we will walk out of this place living differently for having been in your presence and having received your word this morning. God, I ask you to do what only you can do in this place. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open.